0: Listener-supported, WNYC Studios.
1: I'm Tanzina Vega, host of The Takeaway, and you're listening to Politics Brief from WNYC, bringing you the very best coverage of the 2018 elections. You'll hear segments from my show, as well as the Brian Lehrer Show, On the Media, and the New Yorker Radio Hour, plus the work of the award-winning WNYC Newsroom, which is following all the local New York and New Jersey races. Welcome to Politics Brief from WNYC. (music)
2: It's the Brian Lehrer Show on WNYC. Good morning, everyone. And we do not begin as we usually do on Fridays with our weekly Ask the Mayor segment because Mayor Bill de Blasio is on his way to San Francisco to meet with that city's mayor, London Breed. And you heard that right. Did you know the mayor of San Francisco is named London Breed? A London Breed for mayor of San Francisco. So he will have a Boston-bred but Brooklyn-fed visitor today today and we won't. But that's okay under the circumstances. It gives us a chance to start with the local and national heads of the Working Families Party, which backed Cynthia Nixon, Zephyr Teachout, and Jemani Williams in the New York primaries yesterday, and the challengers to what they called the Trump Democrats of the breakaway IDC faction in the state Senate. Now, one of the biggest stories from last night is that the IDC Democrats got blown out. Six of the eight went down to defeat in races that weren't even that close. Only Diane Savino from Staten Island and David Carlucci from Rockland survived among those eight. Alessandra Biagi defeated the head of the IDC, Senator Jeff Klein of Westchester in the Bronx, and she didn't mince words.
1: And we have now put the head of the IDC? Plate.
2: The head of the IDC snake, and for the state senate, Democratic Socialist uh, Julia Salazar also for the state senate beat establishment Democrat Martin Dulan in a similar dynamic. Even though he wasn't part of the IDC, and despite questions about the truthfulness of Salazar's biography, here's how she saw it last night.
1: This was a brutal race because they knew they knew that we were a threat to. The concentration of wealth and power in this state.
2: And let's not minimize how historic Letitia James' victory is in the Attorney General primary. Though she did not have Working Families Party support, which went to Zephyr Teachout, James is poised to become the first black woman ever elected to statewide office in New York.
1: And I am dedicating this victory to every little girl who has been told that she could not change the world. Every little girl has been told to get back.
2: Actually, a correction the Working Families Party supported both Teach Out and James in that particular race, as Letitia James makes history. And another story we'll talk about the Working Families Party will now have to figure out, apparently, how to get at least Nixon off their ballot line so she doesn't split the vote with Andrew Cuomo and risk throwing the election to Republican Mark Molinaro in November. In defeat last night, Nixon gave a barn burner of a speech that at times sounded like she had won.
1: Your victories tonight have shown that the blue wave is real and that it is not only coming for Republicans, it is coming for Democrats who act like them.
2: Voters decidedly did not come for Andrew Cuomo yesterday, but Nixon did push him to more progressive positions on issues that include restoring voting rights for people released on parole, marijuana legalization, and more. So with me now are Bill Lipton, New York State Director of the Working Families Party, and Maurice Mitchell, the WFP's National Director. Bill, welcome back. Maurice, thanks for joining us on WNYC.
3: Great to be here. Thank you, Brian. Great
2: and Bill, to be here, Brian. And Bill, here's you on this show in April when you gave Nixon the Working Families Party ballot line, and I asked you what would happen if she doesn't win the Democratic nomination. I really think we're building a movement
4: in New York, and I really think we're going to win. But in the unlikely event that that we don't, we're going to have a meeting. And I want to say that we have a 20-year history of not being a uh, uh, a spoiler party we you know we take the interests and needs of working people and poor people
2: very seriously in this state, and I think uh that meeting would would be a a very serious one so bill that was in the spring when's that meeting
4: yeah you know, we're going to have that meeting in the next two to three weeks. we haven't actually set the date yet, you know the primary night just uh, just wrapped up a few hours ago uh, but you know our pro- we take process very very seriously inside the WFP we're going to meet with our grassroots leaders we're going to meet with Cynthia we're going to meet with Jumani and we're we're together we're going to make this decision
2: are you still committed to not being a spoiler party
4: we're going to make that decision together as a group and it's going to be you know it's going to be a bottom up decision that includes all of us together
2: that's not a commitment what would be a scenario under which Cynthia Nixon and Jemani Williams for lieutenant governor, would remain on the Working Families Party line?
4: You know, for us, this process really is critical, right? Like, our state committee members, they actually have a legal power over this decision. So for, for me to stand up here and say the decision is done would be it just it just wouldn't be right and it wouldn't be legal uh plus cynthia has a, and Jumani both have tremendous power in this so we're going to take this process really seriously we're going to meet together and you know we're, you know like as i said you know back in april we're going to take it very seriously it's a serious decision
2: in her concession speech last night did nixon endorse cuomo and will she campaign for him
4: uh that's not what i heard you know i i she definitely re- you know recognized his victory uh and she talked about what we accomplished together as a movement you know in many ways the contest, the big contest in New York is really no longer between Democrats and Republicans. It's between uh, a progressive left that's challenging corporate control over our democracy and a, and, a, and a democratic establishment that, you know, led by Andrew Cuomo that is still in hock to to, 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 corporate, to real estate and to Wall Street. So we think that we, from the top of the ticket all the way down to, to our, our seven huge victories in the state Senate, uh, you know, we turned over a quarter of the state Senate to progressive champions. Uh, uh, that we had a great night last night and that Albany has changed forever.
2: And Maurice Mitchell as head of the National Working Families Party. What would you add to what comes next? Because it sounds from Bill's answers so far like there's some uncertainty about whether there will be a Cuomo versus Republican Molinaro versus Cynthia Nixon on the Working Families Party line campaign in the fall.
3: You know, the only thing I would add and this is something that I see nationally is that This is a new day in our politics like the grassroots are way 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 ahead of the traditional politics of the democratic party and our grassroots members around the around the state we're going to listen to them and follow them and there's a small D democratic process in new york state as well as our other states that, that bring us to to these decisions and we're going to take them seriously so Uh, You know, I could just echo what what Bill is saying. It's like this is our activists, the folks who for months were engaged in this campaign and others and including our our candidates. Those are the folks who ultimately uh, we're going to honor in our
2: decisions. Does that mean if the activists of the Working Families Party are willing to risk splitting the liberal, democratic, progressive, however you want to characterize it, vote in November and though it may not be likely in the state of new york such a blue state but risking to some degree throwing the election to the republican uh, by not aligning with andrew cuomo who you ran so hard against you're willing to take that risk
3: what i think is that our activists and our candidates are are politically sophisticated people and we're going to get in the room and we're going to have uh, a really intense and serious conversation about how we Uh, take this momentum uh, in the best way in order to deliver it to our communities. And so, you know, all of those options um, will be vetted and ultimately the the sense of this grassroots community and our candidates um, and and all the grassroots organizations that make up the party will make a decision.
2: And Bill Lipton, um, you corrected me while I was playing the clip of – Letitia James before, that the Working Families Party endorsed both Zephyr Teachout and Letitia James. How do you endorse two candidates who are running against each other?
4: Well, look, it, it, it was a very unusual situation. You know, uh, some people may know I actually ran Tish's first two campaigns. She ran on the Working Families Party line only uh... we have a long when she was she,
2: first running for city council, that's right she uh, defeated a democrat
4: that's right and she's been uh, you know an icon of the wfp uh... similarly zephyr teachout has been uh... uh... you know someone we recruited in twenty fourteen somebody we've worked with we have supported for congress somebody that has tremendous support inside the wfp when tish first announced she was going to run uh... we actually sat with her and said we would support her um, but then a series of events unfolded which we couldn't predict. Andrew Cuomo uh, said to to Tish, you know, listen, if you support, um, uh, if you take the working families line, I won't support you. And that uh, that threat really uh, you know, uh, was a very serious one from a sitting governor. Tish ended up not taking our line, uh, and that you know that hurt her standing inside with our state committee members who still loved her, and they said, you know what, we're going to endorse her anyhow, but we're also going to endorse uh, a Zephyr Tito's Unusual decision. We actually worked very hard against Sean Patrick Maloney, a third candidate in that race who we think was uh, uh, really representing the corporate wing of the Democratic Party, and we're very very proud tonight that Tish James is going to be our next Attorney General.
2: So you have the discretion in this case to have Letitia James as the name on the working family Absolutely. party line. Yeah, we put her. a placeholder.
4: We did not nominate any candidate. And, you know, I would expect that, that you know, uh, uh, with 100% certitude that Tish James will be the working families party nominee uh,
2: in the fall, assuming she wants it. And one more thing about the gubernatorial line, under state election law, the party, any party, needs 50,000 votes for governor in November to keep your ballot line for the next four years. That's an oddity of New York election law. But can you accomplish that equally with Cuomo or Nixon, in your opinion?
4: Yeah, we are not concerned about that uh, in either case. Uh, I mean, we feel like we have tremendous momentum. Uh, you know, what we accomplished last night in terms of the 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 IDC is something that everyone is talking about our base is very excited the IDC was the vehicle for Andrew Cuomo to keep the Republicans in power it was a system that really worked for all the wrong people real estate and wall street poured money into andrew cuomo's coffers and the idc coffers and they in turn kept the republicans in power to keep taxes low on the wealthy uh, to keep the the tax breaks flowing for real estate to keep our 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 rent laws and affordable you know affordable housing programs uh... weakened uh... and we we really you know broke that logjam when Andrew Cuomo returns to office, it's not going to be recognizable to him. There's going to be Democrats in the Assembly and the State Senate in the majority, and instead of instead of setting the agenda in New York between a two divided a divided legislature, he's going to be responding. Things are going to be coming to his desk. So he's still on the chessboard, but he is no longer controlling the pieces. He's no longer controlling the game. In fact, it's going to be the game's being played on him.
2: My guests are Bill Lipton, the New York State Director of the Working Families Party, and Maurice Mitchell, the WFP's National Director. They supported Cynthia Nixon in the Democratic primary, and now now among many other things that the WFP is doing in this midterm election year, uh, they have to figure out if they're going to remove her from the WFP line and put Cuomo on it or do something else. And let's take a phone call. We're getting a couple of calls like this based on the conversation that we've been having. And Steve in Cold Spring, you're on WNYC. Hello, Steve.
3: Hi, Brian and Jeff. I'm a longtime working family supporter, and congrats on last night getting rid of the IDC. Um, I would love nothing more than to see a strong challenge to Cuomo and the uh, establishment Democrats uh, come November. But I have this awful gut feeling that if Molinaro should win, we would be perceived as the spoiler, and that would do much more damage than even the victory from last night.
4: Phil? Look, uh, uh, that's a consideration that I think is going to weigh on people's minds when we meet. I do want to point out to folks that Democratic turnout was two and a half times what it was four years ago in New York, so the blue wave in New York is very, very real. I'm not sure that uh, Molinaro is going to stand a a chance against it. But nonetheless, uh, your consideration is a very serious one, and
2: and we're going to deliberate on it. So thank you for that. You know know what's weird, um, Bill, and maybe you can explain it, and then Maurice will get your take on the national implications of all the New York primaries last night. Um, If we assume that Nixon did the best in progressive New York City but couldn't break through upstate— If I'm reading my results map correctly, that assumption would be wrong, and it was exactly the opposite. The counties that Nixon actually won were clustered around Albany, Albany County, Saratoga County, Greene County, uh, and Columbia County, which are in the Hudson Valley, Schoharie County, west of Albany, Washington County, the beginning of the Adirondacks, maybe anybody within commuting distance of working in the same city of Andrew Cuomo didn't want to vote for him, I don't know, (laughs) But, but down here... Cuomo got 60 percent in Manhattan, 70 percent in Queens and 80 percent in the Bronx, the poorest county in the state, where you might think people would see themselves as having the most to gain from democratic socialism. How do you explain it? Look, first of all, Zephyr had some
4: similarities in her vote. She also did very well upstate. I'm from the Hudson Valley. Uh, Democrats you know, upstate and, and you know, are, are often very, very progressive. So I just want to uh, push back on that. But look, there's two big factors here, I'd say. You know, one is our, our democracy is in deep trouble. You know, the rules of the game are really broken. And New York is exhibit a we've got terrible rules it's very hard to to you know uh, to many people have been purged from the voting rolls uh the registration you've got to stay on top of you get dropped a lot uh, uh and and voting is hard you know there's no it's much easier to vote in most other states not to mention uh, our campaign finance laws are some of the worst in the country. We need, you know, the Moreland Commission was very clear. We need to pass, a, you know, a small donor matching program like exists in Maine or Arizona or Connecticut in order to have a, a level playing field. Andrew Cuomo raised literally more, close to $40 million in real estate and Wall Street cash in large contributions, and he was able to blanket the airwaves and tell his side of the story. And that brings me to the second point. His side of the story... Really focused on our agenda. The Andrew Cuomo of 2018 was unrecognizable. Would be would have been unrecognizable to the Andrew Cuomo of 2010. The guy who came in said, "I am going to break the back of labor unions." Uh, the you know uh, 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 who had huge fights with 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 labor leaders. The guy who said fossil fuel infrastructure. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to stop, but I'm going to support it. The guy who said the minimum wage and paid family leave were not priorities. He took our agenda. We've we won the debate, and Cynthia was a big part of that, too.
2: Maurice Mitchell, as head of the Working Families Party nationally, how would you put the New York primary results, all the New York primary results, including the IDC being mostly wiped out, uh, Nixon, everything else, in the context of the national progressive movement at this moment?
3: Well, I mean, I think it's clear, Brian. So Andrew Cuomo... Um, at certain points towards the end of the election was spending half a million dollars a day to defeat Cynthia Nixon and to defeat our politics. And even given that, we routed the IDC um, and grassroots organizers and small organizations uh, that sprouted up during the resistance movement, as well as grassroots organizations that make up the WFP, were able to bring uh, our our candidates to victory in the down ballot. And what we've seen in the United States, all across the country, is that grassroots victories led led in many ways by uh, folks who have been on the market, women, uh, people of color, um, and also with a very, very, very clear agenda that's much more to the left of, of the traditional Democratic Party. That combination of politics has won. And so we think that that that, standard, that the New York election demonstrates that, especially with the complete routing of the IDC, which is a symbol uh, in many ways of the cynical politics that many people want to leave behind.
2: But it won some places, it didn't win elsewhere. And uh, again, looking at the election map, Letitia James did not win a single county north of Westchester and Rockland. So how much do you think that's downstate familiarity? How much is it race? How much is it the appeal Zephyr's democratic socialism had upstate, or what would you say?
3: I mean, there's so many factors, and I, I still think we have to let the dust settle in order to be able to properly provide enough context as to be, you know, and look through all the cross tabs to understand the nature of this race. But to me, what's clear, and what the the one headline that I think anybody should be able to derive from this, is that transactional politics in New York State might be completely dead. Right. And this grassroots mobilization of the left is ascendant. And, you know, traditional Democrats are either going to have to get on board or get left
2: behind. Bill, I know you got to go in a minute. I do want to get your thought on the biggest win for progressives. Six of the eight IDC candidates went down to defeat last night. Jeff Klein, Marisol Alcantara, Tony Avella, Jose Peralta and Jesse Hamilton all lost their seats plus one up in Syracuse after being in that coalition with Republicans. And these weren't close races. I think they were all double-digit losses for the incumbents. What does it mean for New York, in your opinion?
4: Look, the purpose of the WFP is to challenge corporate control over our democracy. And that's not just a problem in the Republican Party. That is a problem in the Democratic Party. And we were up against... I mean, they had all these phony committees uh, that they were able to, 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 to channel money you know, through from, again, real estate and Wall Street you know, donors that were big donors. These were massive contributions, sometimes $50,000. We were outspent three or four to one. Three or four to one, Brian, like we can actually win those races. That That's a playing field we can operate on. And we swept all our priority races. Every single race where we had a chance, we dominated. Uh, but statewide, when we're outspent 20 to one, or in the case of Jamani Williams, uh, like probably 100 to one, and they're able to blanket the the, the, the airwaves with, with that all that corporate cash, you know, unless we fix our broken democratic system— P- the working people aren't going to have a chance in that arena, and we have to we have to prioritize that.
2: And yet, Maurice, we should remember that the real contest for all that progressive legislation that's stuck in the state senate on housing, on health care, on criminal justice reform, on women's rights and immigrants' rights is if Democrats beat Republicans in swing districts. In November without that it means little that some Democrats beat other Democrats yesterday except to set a baseline for the future does the storm surge against the IDC make defeating Republicans which is in different districts than these IDC races were in any more likely
3: yeah, ab- absolutely that those grassroots activists from around the state are going to make it their duty between now and November in order to be at the crest of that blue wave that's coming in order to defeat those, those Republicans up and down the ballot. And that blue wave will have an impact in Washington, in Albany, and in state houses all around the country.
2: Maurice Mitchell, the WFP's National Director, Bill Lipton, New York State Director of the Working Families Party. Thank you both very much. Thank you.
1: You're listening to the Politics Brief Podcast. We'll be right back after a quick break. The archives at Carnegie Hall hold treasures from our cultural history. In the new podcast, If This Hall Could Talk, we use these items as touchstones to explore how the past shaped the world we live in today. I'm your host, Jessica Vosk, and I'll be joined by historians, performers, cultural critics, and others to look back at the iconic venue's legendary and sometimes quirky history. If This Hall Could Talk, from Carnegie Hall and distributed by WQXR. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
2: Brian Lehrer on WNYC, and with no Ask the Mayor today, because the mayor is on the road, with me now is New York City Comptroller Scott Stringer. We'll keep talking about the New York primary results, and as we do Ask the Mayor, you can ask the controller anything you want at 212 433. WNYC, 433-9692. Controller Stringer, welcome back to WNYC. Good to be on. So you're a Working Families Party person in addition to a Democrat. How do you interpret what we just heard from Bill Lipton, uh, the head of the state Working Families Party? Um, Was he just having to play nice to his base? Is there any realistic chance that Cynthia Nixon is going to stay on that ballot line and actually run against Andrew Cuomo as a third-party candidate in November?
0: Well, look, I think that last night's results were very exciting. I don't believe Albany will ever be the same. The people who get real credit for changing the face of the state Senate, holding Democrats who sided with Republicans accountable, was really the activists and advocates around the city who came together, not just in a few months ago, but years ago, and said, we have got to hold the Democratic Party to account for the fact that we're allowing these Democrats to act as Republicans. We wiped out the IDC last night. We brought government back to the people. And now, as we celebrate that victory, and we respect uh what Cynthia Nixon was able to accomplish, uh, her her supporters, her volunteers, Cynthia and Jemani and Zephyr Teachout, we also now have to come together and say, look, we cannot allow Molinaro any runway. This would be the worst possible outcome for Democrats. So now is the time for Governor Cuomo, as he celebrates his mandate to sit down and work with the Working Families Party, Cynthia Nixon. We've got to get behind Letitia James and make sure that we are strong to ensure a blue wave in
2: New York State. So I take that as Scott Stringer saying to the organizers of the Working Families Party, uh, don't let that particular division uh, make headlines between now and November. Um take Cynthia Nixon off your line. But also, look, let's bring people together. Whether
0: you win or lose an election, you do impact the debate. And I give Cynthia great credit for that. But I also have to say that Governor Cuomo made his uh, mandate and he worked hard. And he's going to be this governor, but we all have to come together, and I want them both to do that.
2: So he's progressive enough now in your eyes to deserve the Working Families Party line in addition to the Democratic Party line?
0: Governor Cuomo can legitimately point to success as a progressive, uh, whether it's the minimum wage uh, work that he was able to accomplish in Albany. But look, voters want more. There is a progressive wave. Whether you look at the toppling of Jeff Klein, the emergence of Alessandra Biagi, I was out campaigning for her. It was extraordinary. Uh, Jessica Ramos and Bob Jackson, and the, these are the best progressive candidates that won uh, that we've ever had. And it didn't start out easy, Brian. They were alone with just a handful of advocates. And they built a movement, a movement that's gonna ensure education funding for the city, ensure a real housing agenda. Look, the rent laws are expiring. The real estate lobby is ready to gut rent regulation. And we put our best fighters uh, up Yes, last night, and we won. And we won big. And it's the most exciting moment that I've seen in politics in a very long time. And I was proud to play a small uh, role in these races. It was tremendous.
2: You were a Cuomo supporter in the primary um, Can you trust him now to stand up to the real estate lobby? He's obviously been much closer to the real estate industry than somebody like Cynthia Nixon or somebody like Zephyr Teachat was. Part of uh, the success of the anti-IDC
0: campaign is to hold everyone accountable to the tenants, the people who are the backbone of our city. And part of what our job is as a New York City elected official is to go to Albany and hold everybody accountable. But here's what we did. Uh, We got rid of Jeff Klein because he was the puppet that was fueling all of this. He's now gone. We put people on notice that we not only expect you to act like Democrats, but we want you to be progressive Democrats. who We want people to govern with a set of issues. I want my kids' public school to be funded. That was part of this campaign. I wanna make sure that the housing laws that we have to fight for continue and are strengthened. And the list is on and on. So this is not just checking a box. We have an obligation in this city to hold all state officials accountable. And I believe the governor is gonna be there with us.
2: And though you supported the governor in the race, you also called in the last few days for New York State Democratic Party chairman, Jeff Berman, to resign over that campaign mailer that accused Nixon falsely of anti-Semitism. Do you think that the governor responded adequately?
0: Look, I think that that piece of literature was disgusting, inappropriate. I think the state Democratic Party has to hold Berman or whoever was the culprit accountable. This has no place in our body politic. Uh, This was a Trump stunt. And I am outraged by it. Uh, I think that there is still opportunity to fix this to make sure it never happens again, and that's why I I spoke out or I tweeted out, as as the case may be,
2: with New York City Controller Scott Stringer two one two four three three, WNYC, Mimi in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC. Hello, Mimi.
1: Hi. Good morning. I'm a retired New York City teacher, and I am interested in knowing some questions about the pension funds. Um, There was a big press conference with the mayor and the controller last January about divesting our pension funds, uh, getting fossil fuel holdings out of the pension fund investments. We haven't heard very much about that. And I'm also interested, I, I I wanna say, controller Springer, I really appreciate That you came out last week against the Williams Pipeline, which would carry fracked gas from New Jersey underwater under our harbor along Staten Island and end in the Rockaways. And this is gas that we don't need. But the Williams Company and National Grid want to build this pipeline, uh, which New York City's own analysis shows we don't need this gas.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Controller? Let me give you a quick update on our divestment from fossil fuel. We just uh, concluded our request for interest, meaning we have proposals uh, to eventually do an RFP, which we think will be ready by September to begin looking for the appropriate consultants to analyze our holdings with the goal of divestment of fossil fuel. This work uh, with our trustees and Mayor de Blasio Is real. We are at an accelerated pace. This is a historic moment because our pension fund is the fourth largest in the country, 14th largest in the world. If we lead on this, we believe others will follow. Also, as someone who represents your retirement security, I will always act as a fiduciary first and foremost to protect your retirement security. But I believe this is the best way to protect our retirement security. Now, you should also know that yesterday, uh, the mayor and I, along with our trustees, including Mike Mulgrew from the UFT and Henry Garrido from DC37, announced a doubling of our investment strategy uh, as it relates to climate change investments. And again, this is something that is gonna lead the country. So we are at a great moment here and and we're gonna continue to work on it.
2: In other words, not just divesting from companies- But investing. That, yes, that are involved with fossil fuels, but investing in companies that counter climate change. What kinds of companies uh, does that include?
0: Well, that will be determined as we look at our investment portfolio and strategy right now. Uh, we will look at different strategies. We don't have to change our asset allocation because we're built for this as a pension system. And as we begin to make those those deals and those allocations, we will get the approval of
2: our trustees and move forward. Barton in Brooklyn. You're on WNYC with a controller. Hi, Barton.
3: Good morning. Um, question. Both the NYPD and the FDNY have been out of contract for at least a year. Um, and the mayor, who claims to be a progressive and is a person of the people, is not negotiating fairly with either to the point that the PD have to go to HERB, which is a state committee, to get a fair contract. And just wondered what the status of that was.
0: Uh, I, I don't know the actual uh, intimate details of that negotiation. Perhaps when the mayor comes back on, you can ask him. But, uh Obviously, it's in everyone's interest to negotiate labor contracts. That's good for our economy to have some certainty,
2: and I hope that will happen. Barton, thank you for your call. Um, later this morning, we'll be looking back at the 2008 crash that began the financial crisis. You know, the day that's usually uh, named as the beginning of it, September 15th, 2008, 10 years ago, tomorrow, when Lehman Brothers went down. Um, my question for you is um how is the city doing it was such a crisis for local governments one reason i'm thinking of our past caller from the teachers union um you know they say the banks crashed the economy and our politics took it out on the teachers uh with all the the pressure that followed on teacher salaries and things after that how's the city doing 10 years later
0: Look, the city has led the nation in terms of an incredible recovery. Uh, We have continued to do that. Part of my job as controller is to make sure that our asset allocation is – we do an asset allocation so that we can weather – Uh, any financial storm, even a storm like we had 10 years ago. And I believe that the pension fund is built for that. You know, we're long-term investors, so we're not trying to game the system. We're trying to protect the retirement security of teachers, firefighters, uh, city workers. And I think we have created a a good uh, metrics for that. One of the things we have to be mindful of is there's a lot of uncertainty out of Washington. Trump has it out for the city and it's getting worse by the day. We're also an international economy, so we have to worry about You know, what's happening around the world as it relates to our pension investment in our city economy. I've said that to weather Trump and prepare for a downturn, we do have to have a robust rainy day fund. We want to make sure that we protect the teachers and the senior citizens and the young people who want to be here. We also have to start thinking uh, about how we measure success. I'm very concerned that we don't have the kind of affordable housing program that will meet the needs of a generation of New Yorkers. There's a There's a real sense that the rent is too high, that people can't make it in the city. Sometimes prosperity gets confused with reality. And we have to make sure that we have an aspiring middle class. And that's why we're worried about NYCHA and the the issues surrounding our housing stock.
2: And not just for renters, but also for homeowners, because I see last week you issued a report on the city's property tax burden and how steep the climb has been for some, especially for those making less than $50,000 a year. And this week, the Citizens Budget Commission found that, in effect, homeowners in neighborhoods where values are stable are subsidizing those in neighborhoods where increases in property values consistently exceed the caps on rates. So everyone seems to agree the current system is unfair and there's a commission just starting to meet to address this issue. What do you advocate?
0: Well, what I was able to do is showcase uh, the increase in property taxes for people who make less than $50,000 a year. That's a lot of seniors, long-term city residents. Uh, Those taxes have gone up since 2005, 98%. And then those folks who make less than $100,000, their property taxes have gone up 67%, and income has not risen nearly uh, to that level. So part of putting out this uh, report is to put a marker down. There is a commission looking at this. This commission can't just be, you know, something blue ribbon that doesn't get to the heart of the problem. We need to have a conversation about this. There are real issues of affordability for the poorest people in the city and the middle class. And that is going to be the challenge for the next few years in this town. Can we address
2: these issues in a fundamental real way? Isabella in Brooklyn, you're on WNYC with Scott Stringer. Hi, Isabella. Hello. Isabella, you there? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the I, air.
1: Sorry. Yeah, I just was really calling in in response to, um, you know, the Working Families Party candidate that was on, on the previous segment and essentially just espousing that, like, as long as we have candidates that support strong DSA values, which I myself uh, support. That's you Democratic, know, the DSA Socialist,
2: Democratic Socialist of America. Uh huh.
1: Exactly. Um, that, you know, will be okay. And I think that the results of last night's election show that we clearly, um, you know, it's not enough to just hold those values. Um, you know, Cynthia Nixon, I have never been an undecided voter in my life. And I was undecided heading into the polls. Because Cynthia Nixon has no experience. I, Brian, I listened to your interview with her this mm-hmm. week, and I, she's been asked this question, um, you know, multiple times. And she had such an insufficient answer and saying that, well, you know, Cuomo's corrupt. Basically, the DSA needs to actually invest in candidates that have the chance of winning and that have management experience. It's not enough to just have these good ideas. They really have to actually put up candidates that can win. And I think that's, you know, reminiscent of the National Democratic Party as well. But, you know, that's just my comment. you know, hearing the last person speak was extremely frustrating.
2: So thank you so much. Thank you so much. And Controller Stringer, to that point, we had a lot of callers who said they wanted to support Cynthia Nixon, but they didn't ultimately think she had enough experience to run the state of New York as big a job as that is. And so there was some lamenting that Nobody else who's more experienced in politics and government and management who holds the same views got into that race to challenge Andrew Cuomo. Well, I think for progressives around the city,
0: the challenge is you have to be able to have real values and also be able to govern. And being a progressive and governance is not mutually exclusive. They have to be one and the same.
2: And Cuomo scared them off with his money and his political power?
0: Obviously there's the power of incumbency, but certainly going forward, one of the reasons why I think we had tremendous success with the anti-IDC candidates, and by the way with Catalina Cruz, who's the first dreamer to be elected to the assembly, one of the reasons why they were successful was not just because they were anti-something or anti-IDC. They were, and they articulated that well. But what they were really good at is showcasing their experience, their skills, uh, and their agenda. And that is when progressives win. And when you go out in these districts, as I traveled around the city for this campaign, they were the best qualified candidates. And that's something that was very
2: exciting for people. New York City Controller Scott Stringer, thanks a lot. Thank you.
1: Thanks for listening to Politics Brief. If you want more, go to WNYC.org election.